I wrestle personally with the line between being a human who wants to be tolerant of other people, but being a Christian who has standards and a universal view of morality and holds to the teachings of Scripture. And uh, this week, if you weren't aware, gay marriage, uh, the ban on it in Oregon was lifted. If you've been on Facebook at all, then you knew that like a thousand times over. And so this idea of tolerance has been brought right to the forefront. And by God's grace and goodness or his anger at me. Uh, Today I had planned long before they decided to strike that ban on teaching on tolerance. And I think it is one of the most important issues facing the church. I mean, how tolerant should I be? When should I be tolerant? What is tolerance even because nobody's defining that everybody's just saying we ought to be it and and so uh, this morning I want to to look at this topic of tolerance and uh, here's just my hope because I think this is such an important kind of thing to look at Uh, it's Memorial Day weekend we're missing people and so please if you think it's important for people to hear go on Facebook and share the sermon after it goes online and make sure that other people hear this because I think that what we'll see today shows us that we can't be tolerant maybe in the way that the world wants us to be tolerant, but that maybe we can be tolerant in a way that's it's even acceptable to the people that we have on, on Facebook. And I'll just say that before we get into this, that I, I, I think that, that the idea in which we see tolerance within the church has become jaded by the way the world wants us to be tolerant. And I I saw a million posts about the the gay marriage thing this week, and uh, and I I don't argue with people hardly ever about things that are important. I discuss, uh, but also I really really don't argue on Facebook, and and so I'm just whatever whatever whatever. I just want to see you know pictures of your food. I I know that the ban was lifted and that you think love wins and you know let's get back to the normal Facebook life. Where did the blazers go? You know that was the fun days on Facebook and, and this one kid that used to be in a youth group that I spoke at and a nice kid I really like him. I really like his parents. Um, it was a friend of mine was his youth pastor. Uh, he, he was saying how much he thought it was great that, that the gay marriage ban had been lifted and not a big deal to me, but I read it because it looked long and, uh, and I don't know why I read that one because I didn't read the rest of them. And, and somewhere in the middle of it, point number four to be exact, and it was very well articulated, point number four, he said, where does the Bible say that we're supposed to call people out on sin? And then he put in parentheses, and if he wouldn't have worded it this way, I wouldn't have got involved. But in parentheses, he wrote, don't worry about looking, save yourself the time, it's not there. And I'm like, man, just off the top of my head, like, I can think of three verses, and I don't have as much of the Bible memorized as some people think I do, or as I would like to have uh, memorized. But I'm like, I can just think of three verses right now. And if he wouldn't have, like, said, save yourself the time, maybe I could have let it go. So I treaded as lightly as anybody's ever treaded. It was like, you know, I felt like I was walking on a minefield, to be honest with you. Like, okay, I'm just gonna make everybody mad and then I'm about to bow out of this conversation. But I was super nice. I said, hey, you articulated this really well, which he did. It's a calm, he presented a common Christian thinking that it's not our job to regulate other people's morality. And he articulated it very well. And I said, hey, you articulated that well. I really appreciate that. And by the way, I don't argue on Facebook. So this is not an argumentative deal. I, your opinion about that is not something I'm bringing up here. Uh, however, <laughs> What you said is not true because the Bible does say that we are supposed to call people out on sin and I gave him the verses. And to his credit, thankfully, nice kid, he actually deleted point number four, so win one for Facebook uh, debate, right? Like, yes, Chad, maybe I should, maybe if I just started arguing on Facebook, the whole world would know Jesus and vote just like me. Um, and, but he, he took it away and, and then it actually, it led to a little bit more of a discussion about how we help people to see sin without uh, regulating their morality because he also agrees that you know people do need Jesus and and I think that that we see this this kind of thinking like 
The world has made tolerance the highest virtue and to go against it is really, really bad. And so we must just ignore sin and, and not pay attention to sin. And, and that's come into the church. Like, I mean, we say things. I, I know we say things like, it's not my business or they'll figure it out on, the, on their own or I don't have a right to talk to them about that sin. And it's just not true. I mean, it's just not true. The Bible makes clear that we are supposed to call each other out on our sins. And and I would like to add, just for the record, because it would make my job easier at certain times, it's not your pastor's job to call everybody out on their sins. So don't bring me people's sins. This is just a side note. Like, you can tell other people about uh, how they maybe should change. And, And I think in Jesus' words that we'll see to this church as we study these churches, I think we kind of see, like, the importance of that but we also see, I, I think, uh, and if we kind of take scripture as a whole, as I'll, I'll try to do today, we'll see where we should stand on the idea of tolerance. And so let's begin Revelation 2.18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write. Again, these letters are being addressed specifically to an angel, which implies, as I've said every single week, that every church has an angel that God is using to do his work in their midst, which is a cool idea. The Creekside angel uh, let a lot of people go camping this weekend, so uh, so maybe we need to take something up with him. But, uh, but he says that to the church in Thyatira. And let me just tell you a little bit about Thyatira. It's a smaller city, and it's located further inland in, in the uh, fertile area, uh, a river valley, much like our Willamette Valley. And little is known about its history. I think we're going to pull up a picture here. I'm waiting for it so you can see kind of the order. So we're traveling here. We saw Ephesus and we saw Smyrna. And, and last week we saw Pergamum. And now the letter goes away from the sea and it goes inland. And here is this fertile valley where Thyatira sits. And again, we don't know much about its history. Uh, there's been a few archaeological remains that have been found, but it's not like these first three cities that were powerful and mighty and pretty and well-known. It's very different than that. It's just kind of a city nobody, to be honest, cared much about, except for it was the home of a lady named Lydia that we meet in the book of Acts, and she was a worshiper of the true God and becomes a Christian, and then is like really sold out for Jesus to the point where she's telling the missionaries like Paul, hey, i I want you guys to come stay in my home. And so the missionaries would stay with this lady in Philippi, but she was from this city where somehow she learned to worship the true God that we know as Yahweh, his personal name. It was a city known for its merchants and its crafts and its guilds. And so uh, if you could picture it kind of like maybe like Detroit in our modern America, a city that was very blue collar and, and, and was hardworking and really was focused on its unions, if you will. Uh, and then we know that it was not a very significant city. Now, here's what Jesus says next, and it's important uh, to understand exactly what's going on, but this is what he said. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. The chief kind of God in Thyatira was Apollo. There was an answer to question on Jeopardy on Friday night, actually. And I almost said Apollo because I don't know any Greek gods, but I was preparing for this sermon. And anyway, uh, but Apollo was Zeus's son. You've heard of Zeus. He's like the God. And so Jesus, writing to this church in this city where Apollo, the son of kind of the big God, is, is stationed, says, guess what? Time out, church. Recognize this. I am the son of God. That's pretty like countercultural for the time, and maybe that's Jesus' kind of point from the beginning, but he's like, I am the true son of God, not the one, Apollo, that some other people, your friends, your neighbors, worship. And then he says that his, uh, that his eyes are like blazing fire and his feet are burnished like bronze. And that's important, I think, because it shows the strength and the might of Jesus. And really what we're about to see is that Thyatira, while they're doing a lot of good things, has the longest, the longest kind of area of problem that Jesus writes. I mean, he spends extensive time saying, you're kind of doing things wrong in your church. And this seems to imply uh, his ability to punish. And it's like, you know, when people say, wait, till your dad gets home. I mean, wait till the guy whose eyes are on fire shows up 
That's a scary deal. And so this implies and reminds people that Jesus is not some sissy that has a little uh, halo over his head and is always glowing with pretty blue eyes and long hair and is just there to pet your lambs, right? That's like not who Jesus is. Jesus is big and powerful and strong and and he can and, and sometimes does punish people and he wants to make that clear right from the beginning. And so just in this description of Jesus, really important, we see that Jesus is the son of God who came to save people from their sins. He came actually to remove sin from people, which is important to the topic of tolerance as a whole. And so he came and he died on a cross because he saw the world was sinful and he knew that people couldn't have a relationship with God. And as the son of God, he was able to die for those sins. But if we don't fall in line with what he wants and he commands for us and accepting him as our savior, then he still has the ability and the power and the might to punish. It's who he is. Revelation 2.19. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. This is everything I want Jesus to say about our church. I mean, I've been talking a lot about how I think this next year holds very good stuff for our church. And as we continue to plan on our ministry advisory team and I have conversations, I'm, I'm just very hopeful for what this next year is gonna bring and excited for it. And if we get to the end of the year and Jesus like wrote us a letter and said exactly this, I would feel pretty good about where we had come to. I mean, he says, I know your deeds. Like these people are working hard for Jesus. They're getting after, they're not sitting around, they're not being lazy, they're working hard for him. These people love God and they love others. And you remember that one of the churches we studied had lost their first love. They had turned from loving each other even though they were doing a lot of work. Not true for the church here in Thyatira. These people are not only doing a lot of work, but they're genuinely involved in each other's lives. They love each other and they love God. They have faith, they trust God. I mean, this is, this is, these people are awesome. I mean, like they don't just, you know, know Jesus and love Jesus and love each other because of it. They're not just working for him, but they trust God with their lives. And they're in service, which is another word for ministry. And so it seems a large uh, a population in the church or high percentage, I should say, in the church are, are doing what God has called them to do. They're serving the church and they're serving each other and they're with each other and they're helping each other and they're ministering to each other. And then they have perseverance which means to remain under. And the idea is when the pressure comes upon them, as far as Christianity goes, they are still living for Jesus. That's better than a lot of us can say because a lot of us, whenever it gets hard, we don't live for Jesus or we just pretend that it's okay to do whatever we wanna do. But these people, even when it's very difficult, even when persecution comes, still are living for Jesus and doing what he wants and trying to be faithful and trying to be obedient to him. And then it says they are doing more than they did at first. And so this church is growing and this church is expanding and they're doing more and more. This is like the church. I mean, this is like everything every pastor wants to have said about their church. They are awesome. And then the awesomeness goes away because he says this. Nevertheless, I have this against you and then pretend everything else you can't see. Listen to what this says. You tolerate. Okay, you're like the perfect church except one thing. The thing I have against you, you tolerate. That woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent in her immorality, of her immorality, but she is unwilling. We're gonna come back to this word tolerate right here. Again, I have this against you that you tolerate, but there's a specific person that they are tolerating and that person is here called Jezebel. I said this last week, but it's worth saying again, Jezebel is not a name you want to name your daughter, even though it's a beautiful name. I think it's actually really pretty and it's too bad that this horrible, horrible human being that lived during the Old Testament times was such a bad, bad, bad person. And so this is not the proper name of the person in this church, actually. It's like a reference. It's like calling somebody a Benedict Arnold. It's like calling somebody Hitler-like. I mean, it's really like I'm 
calling you a name. I mean, that's what it is. And Jezebel, let me just read you a little bit about her. If you were to flip back in your Bible to 1 Kings 16, 29 through 31, it says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. You're a pretty bad woman if a Bible writer is like, here's the problem that this guy had, he married you. And that's really bad. Like if somebody was like was just making fun of me and they were saying like, Chad, you're a horrible person. You married Bryn. Like that would make you get the idea about Bryn. That's not true, by the way. She's very nice. And I think that people are usually like, you're a really bad person, but you married Bryn. You know, that's more to the, to the truth. But, but that's like really, really bad. I mean, you don't want to be somebody's like on the list of the terrible things that they have done in your life. Like, oh, you've, you've made people worship false gods and you've worshiped false gods and you married that woman named Jezebel. Really, really bad. And here's a little bit about Jezebel. She followed the religion of her dad and she was part of the cult of Baal and another god, Astarte. Uh, and the Bible shows us that, that she was just faithful to this religion to the point where she pressed that cult onto Israel. And she started to push people to worship false gods and she removed the prophets of the real God from the land of Israel and and set up a system where she was paying for 850 prophets of the false gods to kind of oversee and give advice and be ministers in Israel. That's like really bad in God's eyes. I mean, we know of her in part because she gets Elijah, uh, one of the coolest prophets in the Old Testament, to leave the nation of Israel and go hide in a cave because he's scared and lonely and, and feeling pretty emotional about life is how the story goes. And, and Elijah's not like some like little non-bold, scared kind of guy when you read his story. I mean, this is, like, this is like a big, tough, strong, doing miracles guy, and then she is doing her thing, and so he goes and hides in a cave. She's an evil, wicked, powerful woman. And so when we read here that, that these people are tolerating her, really it's the spirit of her, and it's a spirit that is summed up in 2 Kings 9.22. How can there be peace, Judah replied, as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel is around? And so these people are giving in to what is, in essence, idolatry, in this church that we're studying today. And that came in a couple of ways we know. Uh, it came through sexual morality and eating food sacrificed to idols. This is the problem in all these churches. Now, it says in our passage today that she calls herself a prophet by her teaching. She misleads the servants into sexual morality and food sacrifice to idols. And so let me just give you a picture. I said it's Detroit-like, right? And so let's say you are a person uh, when the auto industry was good living in Detroit and you were part of the auto unions there and all of a sudden they came up to you and said, if you don't commit sexual morality, if you're not part of our wild sex parties, and you don't eat a food worshiping an idol, then you are kicked out of our union. You no longer have a job back then. You probably, in the time the book of Revelation was written, you probably don't have a retirement plan or a medical plan, and you probably don't have friends anymore. Your whole life goes away. But then this woman in your church As you're contemplating this, do I give in? Can I eat that food? Can I really just worship that God a little bit and still get away with it? Can I participate in the sexual morality and still have Jesus be happy with me? Or do I really have to give up everything? There's this woman, she sits next to you on Sunday mornings and she gets up and says, I have a word from God. God is speaking to me and he's revealing things to me and she probably even points to a couple verses in the Bible just to back up her point, ripped out of context. And she's like, I have determined that God is saying you can commit sexual morality and you can be a part of those parties where other gods are worshiped and still he will be happy with you. 
she's going to gain a following, right? I mean, it's not that hard to gain a following if you just tell people exactly what they already wanted to hear. Have you ever been around people when they come to you for advice and it's obvious that they didn't want your advice, they just wanted you to verify that they could do what was wrong and, and it would be okay? Have you ever been there? Like, hey, you know, I really am thinking about beating this person up and here's why they're so bad. And you go, well, you shouldn't beat them up. You're gonna go to jail. And they're like, ah, why did I come to you for advice? You know, like, <laughs> but if you're like, seriously, yeah, you should just, you should beat them up. Here's my, what do you beat people up with? Uh, here's my baseball bat. Then, then that person, like they already wanted to do it anyway. And you're verifying for them. This is Jezebel. She shows up saying, I have the word of God. And, and this is what God says. You can give into these things and still make Jesus happy. That is who she is. And Jesus is mad, literally mad. I mean, he's like, you are the perfect church except this thing. It's that you tolerate this in your church. Now, tolerate is a really, really, really important word. And so I just think that for us, to just, we need to know because honestly, like I don't, when it's used in normal culture or, you know, like people say it because we say that we don't think something is right as Christians and they're like, well, you're so intolerant. That's how it's normally said. You're just intolerant. Then, then like it almost has no meaning except for you don't believe anything. I mean, that's the only like meaning that intolerance has, like that you don't have any standard of right and wrong. And that's what people expect from you. And, and that is, the word tolerate here, the Greek word, not our English word. I don't really care what English words mean, but our, the Greek word for tolerate here can, can vary widely in meaning, which continues to make it difficult. So I just want to read you these definitions. And I think you'll start to see the idea of, of what it might mean here here we go uh it can mean to dismiss an activity implying complete cessation to leave in place or to leave in peace to let go or let it be to give up to give permission to disregard to go past or allow let me read them one more time you can kind of start to get the idea of what this word means to dismiss an activity implying complete cessation leave in place or leave in peace to let go or let be to give up to give permission to disregard, to go past, or to allow. And so what Jesus seems to be saying is not, I have this against you, you don't hate Jezebel. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I have this against you, you, you haven't embarrassed her for what she's doing. I have this against you, you haven't argued with her enough. It, what Jesus is saying is, this is what I have against you. You haven't paid attention to the fact that this woman is teaching things that are not true. You've ignored her sin. You've let it go. You've let it be a part of your church. Nobody has stepped up to the plate and said, this is wrong. And, and this word that's translated tolerate seems to imply that what Jesus has against this church is that nobody has had the guts or whatever to just step up and say to this person in their church, what she's saying is not right. We need to do something about it. I'm gonna read the rest and I'll come back to what I think are, are the implications of that. But Revelation 2, 22 and 23, listen to this, this is crazy. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. That's like crazy. I mean, he's saying, look, she committed adultery in a bed, but now she's going to suffer horribly in a bed. I'm going to probably physically make this woman sick. And not only that, but anybody who holds to her teachings that's saying, yeah, I can kind of give in to sexual immorality and I can eat that food and worship another God just a little and Jesus won't care. I I'm gonna kill them. I'm gonna kill them. Jesus is not like, this is eh, no biggie, you know, so there's just this lady, like whatever, you know. He's like, hey, you haven't done anything about it. You've never said anything to her, and so I'm gonna make her real sick, and I'm gonna kill the people who are following her. And, and this is why. This is why it's such a big deal to Jesus that we don't just let these things go, these false teachings and this, this sin in our churches. It's a big deal because he says, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches out hearts and minds and will pray each of you according to his deeds. Jesus says, look, it's a big deal because I need churches to know who I am. I need churches to see what I, I, I see and to see sin the way that I see sin because someday, and the Bible makes this very, very clear, I'm going to judge people. 
and I'm going to judge them according to their works. Now listen, we believe as Christians that you become a Christian, you get into heaven by looking at the sacrifice of Jesus and accepting it as true and then giving him your, giving him your life. And if you sin, that has no bearing on whether or not you get into heaven if you're a follower of Jesus. However, the Bible makes very clear that we will be judged according to our works. And we don't know exactly what this means given the whole of scripture, but someday we will sit in front of Jesus, in front of him, and we will have a conversation with him about the things that we did wrong and the things that we did not do right that he asked us to do. Revelation twenty two twelve is the picture of the very end of the world. It says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Someday we will sit in front of Jesus and we will talk about the things that we do. And so it's a big deal for Jesus that if you're sitting next to somebody who's promoting sin or sinning and allowing that to go on, then then you're doing it wrong. If you're just like letting sin go, then you are letting people's conversation with Jesus at the end of the world be worse. And you're not portraying Jesus as the person that he is, as the God that he is. You see, when we let sin and conversation about sin and pretending that it's okay just go totally untouched in our churches, then what we're saying about Jesus is that he doesn't have a standard. He has no standard. And that's not true. Jesus sees everything that we do and there's certain things he really, really doesn't like to the point that he might kill you, like kill you, because he doesn't like it. Jesus is saying like, I need you to not let sin and lies about the truth go untalked about just to go, I, you, I can't allow for you just to go past them like they don't exist because it doesn't show the truth of who I am or what happens at the end of eternity. He continues. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who hold who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. He says, look, I'm not saying you need to do more stuff. I'm saying I have a problem with you tolerating this. I have a problem with you letting this go. I'm not asking that you do a bunch of other stuff. I'm simply saying one thing, one thing. Don't let this go unchecked. And then he promises this wonderful thing to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule with them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one to give that one the morning star. Jesus says two things. If you are firm to the end, if you live for me and you serve me, then you get to rule over the nations. Big deal when you're in a very unimportant city in a big time country. And not only that, but now you become a Christian who might lose your job. I mean, you go from CEO of the company to not having a job. It's good to know that someday all of that is going to pay off and you will be in charge of not just like a little company or the trade guild or your union, but you will be in charge of nations and you will rule with Jesus. And then he says that we will also get those of us who are faithful, the morning star, and there's several ideas of what this is about. Uh, but later in Revelation, we see that the morning star is Jesus, Revelation twenty two sixteen, And so Jesus says, you will have me. You will have me. And then he finishes with what he always says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. So we must pay attention to this. And so the question becomes, what does it mean? I mean, how far does it go and when are we tolerant and when are we not tolerant and what does this look like? And I guess I just want to finish with kind of saying this. I I think there's a couple of things that we need to really understand. The first is, and the Bible talks about this, and I'm actually going to do a whole series in this next year. It's already on my prayer, um, excuse me, my sermon schedule for the next year uh, on what it means to judge people because all the time I hear like, We're not supposed to judge. It's kind of true, I mean, but it's kind of not true. Just enough not true that I need to do a sermon series on it. I mean, haven't you heard that like all the time? Haven't you thought that? Haven't you said, not my job to judge, right? It's not your job to judge people outside the church. 
The Bible says that. And so let's get that out there right now. The first thing that we need to understand is that the Bible says, Paul says specifically in 1 Corinthians, it's not my job to judge those outside of the church. Not our jobs. Now, how far you take this is up to you, uh, but it is not our job to go up to non-Christians and say, eh, you're doing something wrong. However, and this is my big however here, We can't pretend that sin is not sin because nobody needs Jesus anymore without sin. It's not our job to please people who aren't calling themselves Christians. If somebody says, I don't believe in Jesus, you say, well, fine, you don't have to follow my morality, I don't care. However, I just think of this, and this is a big, big problem in the church. We're like, well, it's not, and the people that actually know it's not our job to judge those outside the church, what we do is we're like, well, it's not our job to judge those outside the church, so let's just pretend that everything is good. And what the line of thinking goes with things like gay marriage is, well, it's not my job to judge, and and I don't think we should regulate morality until somebody shoots at me, but I I just, so I'm going to be really, really, really happy when people that are gay get married. Like, that's that's a big, big, big bad step right there. I don't care how you vote. If you're all for gay marriage, I have no problem with that whatsoever. But if you're for gay people getting married, then you're just ignoring what scripture says. And you're like a Jezebel. Like if you think they should have the right, that's fine. I'm not a political person, not when I stand up on this stage. But if you start to say, well, I don't, I think it's good, then you're no longer paying attention to what the Bible says. And that's when you cross some line. It's not our job to regulate non-Christians' morality. It's not. We don't need to go around policing the world saying, well, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this. But we need to show people that there's such a thing as sin or else they're never gonna come to Jesus and we're gonna be part of the reason that people don't know about Jesus and don't understand that at the end of the world they will be judged based on what they do. And so tolerating is saying, hey, it's not my job to judge you. However, and I don't know what this looks like, we need to stand firm in what we believe is truth and is sin. Now, how we do that and just that part of the tolerating, I don't know. I I just think it doesn't look like the two extremes that I always see. Like, hey, you guys are all idiots and I hate this and and we say, well, I love the person but hate the sinner but we act like we hate the person you know like that that isn't it but also like oh yeah just this pretend it's not sin just give in and you guys do whatever you want and there's no consequences ever and uh, sure I'm happy for you when you sin that's not it either and I'll just be lying if I said I figured out the line because I don't know the line right now I just know that these extremes are pretty bad On one extreme, we are judging people that the Bible makes clear that we're not supposed to judge. But on the other extreme, we're letting them go to hell without a fighting chance because they're going, well, the Christian tells me it's okay. So whatever. Why would would anybody need Jesus if they didn't know that they had sinned? I mean, there's no logical reason for Jesus to die on a cross if we don't have a standard for sin in our lives. And so that's one part of this. And with that, I mean, I'll just say it this way. You can be legally tolerant. You can be socially tolerant. Let's just get that out there. I mean, if your family member shows up and, and, and your family member is gay and they're like, I'm getting married next week, then, then you should still love that family member. And I don't know if it's your job at every Christmas party to go, hey, you're gay, it's a sin. I, I just don't, I don't think the Bible makes that. But at some point, you need to tell You've got to tell everybody. There's a standard. If we don't meet it, and we can't meet it, we need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And so outside the church, and this is just a question because this passage is more specific to inside the church. Outside the church, tolerance is not accepting every sin is okay. But it's not being mean to people either and judging everybody in their sins. You figure out what it is and you tell me. Here's the other thing, in the church, let's talk about in the church. Tolerance within orthodoxy or orthopraxy is good. And that simply means that when we are within the bounds of the truth of scripture, it's good to accept people's beliefs. And it's good to accept if people do things differently than us within the church. 
Uh, an example of this, we have people, a lot of different viewpoints on certain subjects. Let me give you a couple of examples. The book of Revelation and how it's to be interpreted. Uh, if people, once they become Christians, can ever stop being Christians anymore. We have people that believe both sides of those issues within our church. Right here, sitting next to you. And I know right now you're like, oh, I'm not tolerating this person anymore if they're on the wrong side. But that's fine to tolerate. If somebody is saying something that's within the bounds of Scripture, we ought to tolerate them. Or if people do things differently than you within their Christianity. Example, I think people, it's best for people to pray and, and read the Bible in the mornings. But if you came up to me and said, I, I really like praying and reading the Bible at night, and I was like, you're an idiot. There is no tolerance here, you stupid person, and that's no good. And so we should tolerate these orthopraxies, these things that we do that are not theological in nature. They're just how we express our faith. And we should accept people as long as they're within biblical bounds. However, however, and this is what Jesus is specifically talking about in this passage of Scripture today. We ought not pretend that sin is not sin. We ought not pretend that heresy is true and we cannot let it go. And we ought not be tolerant of immorality within the church. If somebody comes into our church and they say, here's what I believe. There are many ways to get into heaven. We should not tolerate them getting up and speaking. We should not tolerate that view. Do we, do we tolerate the person? No, not if they are affecting our church. We say, look, we're going to have to ask you to leave. We need to have a conversation about this. We, we do whatever we need to do to make sure that that does not spread within our church. If somebody comes and says, I don't believe Jesus is both God and man, conversation. We can't just walk by that and go, well, it's not my job to fix their theological issues. We need to have a conversation. Again, it's not, the, it's not we're mean. We don't need to have an argument, but we can't, according to Jesus, let it go, pretend it's not there, pretend that the person doesn't exist, whatever you feel like is easier. You can't just walk by it and go, sure, they have heretical views, but it's not my job to tell them the truth. It is your job to tell them the truth. That is what Jesus is saying. When somebody is teaching something that is not in line with the word of God, and we know that, it is our job absolutely to say something to them. Not yelling, not screaming, not being mean, not kicking them out of the church, as I just said before. That would be a very extreme example. But saying, we got to have a conversation about this. This has got to be fixed because you're teaching things that aren't true, and you're going to lead others astray, and then people won't know who Jesus is, and eventually they won't see a need for a savior. When there's heresy, which means being outside the lines of what is biblical, we cannot walk by it and pretend it doesn't exist and make Jesus happy. I mean, if we're a growing, faithful, loving, awesome church, but we are like, yeah, sure, they're teaching something that's false, no biggie, and we pretend it's not there and we go by it and we let those people have peace about it, Jesus is going to be mad at us. And he might start killing people. Here's the other one. And I mentioned this earlier. We cannot be tolerant of immorality. We cannot just be like, well, they're sinning, but it's, it's just okay. I mean, that was at the heart of the issue in this passage is that Jesus is like looking down. He's like, this woman is teaching people that they can sin. And then there's people who aren't even teaching it. They're just subscribing to it. Oh, sure. I'll commit sexual immorality. I'll a little bit worship this God. Jesus won't care that much. They aren't actually teaching it. They're simply following it. And this type of thinking is just coming into the church today. We're like, well, I can just kind of do this little sin, and it's okay. And then everybody in the church is like, yeah, I know about it, and I just, but it's so stressful to talk about people who are sinning because then I won't look tolerant. I'll look intolerant, and they'll be mad at me, and I might lose a friend, and what if they leave the church? And one of my biggest regrets is not calling people out on the church because then they leave the church anyway, and they never knew that they were sinning. And I, I have, that's a serious regret for me. And, and we, Jesus would be mad at us if we're like, that person's sinning, but it's not my job to talk to him about it. It's your job to talk to them about it. It is literally your job to talk to them about it. That's what Jesus tells us. I mean, the Bible, and we'll talk about this in the judging series next year. I don't want to get too far down the road, but, but I mean, the Bible tells us that. Like, if you see your brother in sin and you go and point out the error of his ways, then you will save them, in other words. 
Jesus, if you see your brother sinning, go talk to them about it. If they won't listen to you, get somebody else and go talk to them about it because where there are two or three people, I'll be gathered. And if they don't listen, then go get the whole church and talk to them about it to bring them back from their ways. I mean, this is, this is not like ignore it. Jesus has one command when he lived on earth, one single command for church, one. And it's what I just said. Talk to people about their sins. He didn't say, and the rest, other parts of the Bible say this, but Jesus, while he walked on earth himself, did not say, make sure you sing on Sunday mornings, make sure there's a sermon, make sure that you have some type of small group. He didn't, that's not, he didn't say any of that. He said, when you see somebody sinning in the church, go and talk to them about it. We cannot walk past sin and we cannot walk past false teaching and make Jesus happy with our church. He might like a lot of other things that we do, but he will not like that. And I want to say one more time, I just want to make it so clear, this is not mean. If you're like, well, I got to be the police, you know, and I got to, and hopefully we don't think a police officer is mean and I don't want to do that. But you know, like that mentality, like it's my job now to start beating people into submission and doing things right. The intent of the Bible, the intent of Jesus here is not that we would be mean. It's not that we would punish. The Bible makes very clear that only one person punishes. That's Jesus and he'll do it someday when he meets to us and talks to us about our sins. The Bible does not ever tell human beings to punish. The Bible tells human beings to correct each other and help each other and push each other and encourage each other to remove sin and to think correctly about God and about the things he says in the word. It's a big deal. And I think we have a pretty good church. But when I look at the church, last week's sermon and this week's sermon, the church in America today, it's the two most important things. I see compromise and then I see a bunch of people letting other people compromise. They go hand in hand. It's like, so you're sleeping with your boyfriend before you're married. Who am I to talk to you about it? It's your job. Well, you are the person who's supposed to. That's who you are because you're a Christian that goes to church with them. And, and you could think like, well, I'm just, every time I see a person sinning, then I'm just going to go to another church where there's no sins. I mean, like, then, first of all, I've been in enough churches to know you won't find that. Second of all, if, you're, if you go to a big church, you might be able to avoid hearing about people's sins, but then it's no fun at all, right? I mean, what are you really accomplishing at that point? And I know that this is a complaint about people in like big churches, like, well, nobody knows anybody. But then you go to small churches and nobody will talk about anything in front of their faces, just behind their backs. And it's like, well, you're doing the same thing. You're just walking past these issues. But it's our job as Christians to not let it go. To just, we can't walk past these things anymore. And so here's, here's what I say, if I could somehow conclude uh, on the issue of being tolerant. We can walk past the sins of people who aren't Christians a lot of times. We don't need to feel a need to regulate everybody's morality to fit a Christian morality. That we don't need to do. We don't need to go to every birthday party and talk to our family members about how they're living wrong that don't know Jesus. We don't need to get angry every time we see a publication that disagrees with us. We don't need to call up the editor of our local newspaper because they posted something that we disagree with. We should, I think, be tolerant in that way. But We cannot allow people to think there's no such thing as sin. Can't do it. We can't do it. And sometimes we do it because we want to look tolerant. I've noticed this where where people will say, do you think something's a sin? And and we're like, well, here's the deal. And then like we're getting the longest answer possible because we don't want them to think that we actually think it's a sin. And so here's the the thing about it like I love all people and I you know I accept people for who they are which is good and 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 I really care about people and yes I think it's a sin and and, you know like you just try to and 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 sometimes I think I think sometimes and this is just an opinion we would just be better to say yes still love people that do it but yes I do think it's a sin I've struggled with it. We might say that. I've struggled with it, trying to stop it. It's never made my life any better when I do it. It makes it worse, you know? I mean, 
it's not something I'm proud of and I don't, I don't like how I feel afterwards and there's guilt and it's made my life worse. So yes, for all those reasons and because it says in the Bible, I think it's a sin. Have you ever, just let me ask you this, have you ever like felt good after you sinned? Even before you were a Christian, you did something you kind of knew was morally wrong. Did you ever like feel good about it? No, you never felt good. And all we're doing, people like already know things are wrong. A lot of people, like they know it in their deepest heart and they kind of feel a need for a savior. But then the Christian comes along and pats them on the back. Like, hey, don't worry about it, you know? They're like, oh, cool. I feel better about it. I don't know what it looks like. But we got to find a place where we're not policing the world, but at the same time, we're showing the world that there's such a thing as sin. I don't know what it looks like. And it's probably going to look different in every conversation you have with a person who doesn't believe in Jesus. But in our church, we must not walk past. We must not walk past the sins that are committed and, and the false teaching that, that goes on. If somebody comes up to you, says something that's not true, you can't go, oh, I'll get back to it later and just pretend it didn't, it wasn't said. You have, you, it's your job, it's your job to talk to the person. Not punish, not be mad at them. You shouldn't be mad. There's no like anger needed in this deal. It's, it's love that's needed in this deal. And, and to say, look, let's have a conversation about that because I think, I think you can do better and I think Jesus wants you to do better. Man, I, I think that if we could be a church like that, we would be awesome. I mean, I think Jesus would bless it and show up here and awesome things would happen. I just, I want to be a part of a church and I'm blessed and I'm half the man that I am today and because a big part of who I am is simply because I have people in this congregation who if I sin and they know about it, they're going to say something to me. I've had people stop me in gossip. I'd have, I've had people uh, ask me about things, that, that about lust and, and just about how I interact with my wife. And, and, and I like knowing that there are so many people here that if, I, if they know about my sin, then they're going to talk to me about it and let me know. And it's easier to look at your pastor and want to do that. But I'm, look at this. I'm saying as your pastor, as somebody that, that you would be much more apt to be like, Chad, you just taught something false today or I know about this thing and it doesn't line up with scripture. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful knowing that I have the accountability of other people in our church, not like an accountability partner, just like being a Christian. And people that aren't going to be like, well, Chad's turned into a jerk, you know. Chad's hanging out with another woman who's not his wife, and that seems like a bad idea, but it's not my business. No, no, people wouldn't do that. And I'm thankful for it. Don't walk past the sin of people that are Christians and go to church with you. Don't walk past the false teaching and the wrong beliefs of people who are in your church and just don't do it. Pray with me, Lord. I just, I wanna be a church that does this right and it's such a difficult issue, Lord, like just the, I mean, God, every time we start to talk about sin, it's like somebody's calling us intolerant and I, to be honest with you, God, I think I'm a, in a, in a traditional kind of American sense, God, I'm, I'm pretty tolerant. I mean, I, there are very few people that I don't genuinely like, Lord, and I don't like those people not because of sins, just because they're not nice to me or something, Lord. Um, but Lord, you know, when I say things, I, I'm just aware that I'm going to be judged as intolerant. When I, when I have standards, Lord, when I follow your word. And, and it's tricky, God, because we want to have, we want people to like us so that we can tell them about you. We want that. But we also, God, need to show people their sin. And that's hard. And I just preached a sermon about it, and I still don't know where that line is or what that looks like on a daily basis, God, or anything like that. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us and our conversations and our lives. Uh, when people here go to work, when they interact with their families, when they talk to their friends, their neighbors, that, that Lord, you would supernaturally, by your spirit, just give them direction and advice and that they would know exactly how to handle every 
individual situation, Lord. But I pray that they would not be on these extremes where they just take hold of sin and pretend that it's okay. And at the same time where they don't make everybody mad because they are intolerant. They're just jerks. And uh, I just pray we would find the right spot for that, Lord. But, Lord, within our church, I pray that we would have a congregation of people not this looking to find the sins of everybody else, but that is willing to call out each other on sin and to accept it when other people call us out on sin, Lord. And that's hard because we get defensive. People leave churches, Lord. (laughs) People leave churches, God, but Lord, let us do right. Let us do right and, and God, let us worry about doing what you want and, and trust you for the for the results, Lord. Um, let us trust you for the results. Lord, we want to be a church where, where there's not a lot of sin. Sometimes we just kind of take the old excuse that, well, we're all sinners or Jesus loves me anyway. And both things true, God, but we don't want to turn those into excuses to just dishonor you to make you look bad, to not show the world what you are really like and their need for a savior and, and to show the world that you are real and true as we talked about last week being evidence of, of the fact that you really did walk this earth and you really did teach people and you really did die for us, God. So Lord, let us be a church where sin is being removed, where virtues are being added, God, where we are where the fruit of the Spirit, God, is increasing within each of us as we help each other along and where the divine nature, God, in Second Peter is increasing daily and we're adding, God, to our knowledge, goodness, and to our goodness, mutual affection, and to our mutual affection, love. Let us be the church and the people that you want us to be, God, even when it's hard. I pray these things in your name. Amen.